Our US Open coverage is sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. And as part of our US Open coverage, Joel and I are taking a little AG1 challenge of our own and we'll be updating you on our AG1 journey and how it's improving our health and wellness. So Joel, we've got started. How are you finding it? I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit nervous. I was a little bit sceptical at first, but I got my flask, put one scoop in, added water, shook it all about. And do you know what? It actually tastes pretty good. Yeah, I was surprised because normally the healthier something is, the worse it tastes. But for me, what I like is I've got a cupboard of vitamins that it's been able to replace. So that's just one product I can take in the morning. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. That's drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. Check it out. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's US Open Round 4 Catch-Up, sponsored by AG1. Sriontek succumbs to Penko Power. Shelton wins an All-American battle. And Coco Goff toughs it out against Caroline Wozniacki. Chris, today is the 4th of September and we are here to catch up on round four of the US Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. Well, I say round four. Round four is still underway. We've got the night session to come. Jack Draper is on the court as we speak. Come on, Jack. Rublev. Come on, Jack, indeed. And also, you are no longer in New York City. You are back home in Copenhagen. You landed today i'm gonna assume you've got lots and lots of jet lag going on but i don't really care about that all i care about was caroline wozniacki on your flight home she was can you believe that (laughs) she was um she was in economy class with you is that right yeah she was in boarding group (laughs) d i couldn't believe it um i certainly felt like maybe that's the key to you know a long-lasting career and not knowing when she's going to play next Mm. that prize money's got to last from the us open because apparently the next time she's playing is australia so her david lee and the kids were the back row of the play oh the back row yes the screaming baby all that sort of stuff uh yes no um yeah i mean unfortunately yeah caroline wasniaki losing uh to coco goff Um, a great match a match we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about all the matches from yesterday from day seven and we're also going to be talking about all the matches from today um in day eight that have happened so far we're also chris going to be giving a collector set mini mini update i'm dreading dreading that one kim has escaped so lucky by not being here for this one I absolutely agree. Kim is in the lakes at the moment. I hope she's I hope she's listening. I hope she's resting up. But um, yeah, we're going to be doing collector set. A lot of the players are out, and uh, yeah, it's still all to play for for us Technically, and for our listeners. I believe we could all get everything wrong. Still, <laughs> it's still it's still possible. Oh my god, are we going to have to like halve the slam spoon of shame into kind of I think like we all the, deserve it? If none just of like us the get handle one. and the and like the the spoon element. Or we'll just have to make more. Because oh, we'll make more. Okay, <laughs> yeah. we all get one. Right. Okay, I love it. Um, but, but yeah, before we get on to collector set, uh, yeah, as I said, we're going to start with day seven, uh, looking at the women's results. And really, Chris, there is only one result to start with. I know I sort of touched on Caroline Wozniacki, Coco Goff, but we actually have to start with the night session match. Iga Sviantek, Yelena Ostapenko. And Yelena Ostapenko, yet again, seemingly... Iga Sviantek's kryptonite coming through three sets, three six six three six one. I think that's the fourth time now that Ostapenko has defeated Sviantek. She owns a four and zero head to head record. Sabalenka is going to be the official new WTA world number one. I mean, wow! What a what a match! What a match this was. I think some people were maybe getting a bit too ahead of themselves, thinking Shiontek Coco Goff in the quarters. Well, Yelena Ostapenko, she was having absolutely none of that, was she? I honestly think she lives for these moments. I think she really and has Nails. not. En- oh, and Riga Nails. She has not enjoyed. That's for sure. Um, her progress through the through the tournament. She has made every match very difficult. She did her best to drop a set and everything. Um, and then she comes out and she produces two of the best sets of tennis that I've seen her play against the world number one, having kind of almost going out to 
uh, a player that I'm not very much familiar with who actually beat her in the doubles of um, Evan Eason. I mm. think I'm saying that right. And, and that's that was really messy. So she's one of those players who, as soon as she kind of gets that platform, she's like, you know what? I'm going to show everyone that I can really play tennis like no one else can. And I couldn't believe, you know, that this was the way the score went. I didn't think that she uh, Iga would go out with a whimper. I thought maybe it'd be the middle set that maybe Ostapenko would get and then Iga would maybe get it back on track. But she ran away with it at the end. And I mean, it does make you think if everything's going to three sets, it does remind you of that 2017 run to the Roland Garros title. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just thinking on the upset because, yeah, I mean, Ostapenko is so inconsistent. But at the same time, when she does bring her A game it is a, it is a sight to behold. It's breathtaking. It is, but it it just becomes over the last I think few seasons. It's just become it's it's a little bit inconsistent. And as you said, this tournament in her round two match against Avenyasan, she hit eighty eighty unforced errors, I think, and came through I with saw the a little victory, bit. right? But yeah, against Sviontek, I think she only, only, I say only, she only hit uh, 20 unforced errors. And uh, yeah, that third set in particular, I mean, she came through, she was just breaking Sviontek at will. And for all the talk about Sviontek giving breadsticks and, and bagels to her opponents, well, it was Ostapenko in that third set who was delivering a breadstick to Iga Sviontek. I mean, what is it, do you think, about Yelena Ostapenko's game that just does not compute with Iga Sviontek? As I said, she's still not won a match against Yelena Ostapenko. Ostapenko in the head tear is 4-0. and oh. What is the reasoning behind that, do you think? Well, we've talked about it previously. The worst pl- sort of player for Iga to play against is a big hitter. Rabakin has caused her problems. Um, Sabalenka and her have had some really great battles. And I definitely think it's the case that um, if you are able to hit her off the court, you can beat Iga. It's the only way you can do it. And you have to have a lot of confidence, a lot of belief that you can do it. And I think that, you know, the confidence of Ostapenko and the confidence of Rabakina. Um, of the why can't I win this, you know, uh, expectation that they have um, really helps because it's it takes it away from her racket. And when Iga is able to be the person who is kind of in charge and dominating, um, combine that with her movement against someone who isn't going to hit her off the court, she can get the result quite easily. But if she's not having the time and she's being rushed, especially that second serve, both of those um, ladies, they both really go after her second serve. And it is, it's a big weakness. The serve is not great um, for a player who is as successful as she is. We've seen players like Kerber who haven't had great serves but can back it up everywhere else. And she's a bit like that in that sense. So if someone's going to go out there, target that second serve, play front foot tennis and not be intimidated, that's probably Iga's worst nightmare. Definitely. And I do think also, you know, with Shion Tech, you know, she plays with a lot of a lot of top spin and again, it just sort of ends up in, in Ostapenko's strike zone and it and it's there to be hit. And I think a season ago, as I said, I think when that ball was there to be hit by Ostapenko, you didn't really know where it was going to go. It might have been a winner, but it might have gone six yards beyond the baseline. But it seems, you know, in this match this big occasion, which I definitely feel like she's there to kind of almost kind of prove a point and she kind of loves the, you know, this underdog status. But yeah, it she just kind of zoned in, didn't she, when, when that ball was there to be hit and it was more, it felt like it was going more winners and unforced errors and, and Shafiotek really didn't have a a plan B or, or a backup. And going forward, what, what do you think Shiontek's going to need to do against these power, flatter hitters given she's got a topspin heavy game you know, that could, I think, cause her problems continuously against these opponents, as we have seen. Do you think she's going to need to change it up? That's a, that's a tricky one, because I do think that she's got such a complete game minus the serve. Um, if you look at the stats, Ostapenko famously doesn't have a fantastic serve or second serve, but she actually out-aced Iga, hitting seven aces, just three. And Iga also hit the same number of double faults at three. So for me, winning the idea of winning 62% of first serve points... Um, I'm sorry, 56% of first serve points for Iga. It just shows that that serve was being jumped on. So for me, that's a really big area of improvement because if you do get a great serve and then you can play front foot tennis and you can kind of attack that next ball and the key is to get Ostapenko on the run and Rabakina. And in this match, in terms of distance covered, I mean, on average per point, it was 38 feet for Iga and it was just 31 for Ostapenko. And I think everyone knows that you've got to get Ostapenko moving 
and she didn't have the time to do enough with the ball. So she didn't play a bad match at all. I mean, 18 winners, 18 unforced errors. It's just a case you will play against an inspired opponent. And we've talked about this with Serena and any world number one. Everyone plays their best tennis against you when you're number one. You've got a target on your back. And for some players, it will inspire them to the point that they'll be able to beat you. And they wouldn't normally be able to. Obviously, Iga's done, uh, Ostapenko's done that previously. But... Iga's game is improving, but I think the rest of the field are starting to catch up. I definitely agree. I think you know, we've seen that with the fact that, you know, the world number one ranking, Shiontech, has now been usurped by Sabalenka. And then maybe it felt last season that Shiontech's game was so good and the, the gap and the distance between her and the chasing pack was was quite wide. But actually, we've seen this season that gap has closed. And as a result, the slam results haven't necessarily been as good. I mean, Chris... Iga Shiontek's Grand Slam record this season as world number one has been round four at the Australian Open, champion at the French Open, quarter final at Wimbledon, round four at the US Open. How would you assess Iga Shiontek's appearances um, at Grand Slams this season and be and playing as the world number one, particularly compared to last season when it was just it felt like her in a league of her own? Yeah, it really did. I. I think it's quite a strange situation, really, given the performance she put in last year, that she hasn't been to more than one semi-final this year. That's definitely a surprise because um, Sabalenka has been to semi-final or better at every slam this year. Um, and if you look at some of the, the results as well, we've seen, you know, uh, Svitolina hit a semi in a quarterfinal. We've seen some players who've been quite consistent um, across the slams. And for me... The difference probably is that from a, a mental side of things in Australia, I think mentally she did lose lose it a little bit against Rabakina. I think she didn't think she was going to win that match um, and didn't feel like she was in a great place before she got it together at the French. Um, Grass, I mean, quarterfinals is a good result for Wimbledon, for Eager, given her game, I would say. Um, but this the, the two hard court slams, I think, are the big question marks because... They should be places where she can thrive. And, you know, going out to Rabakina is a very tough fourth round opponent. So there's no shame in that one. But I think this one in particular um, probably will sting a little bit because she had a point to prove in terms of coming into the US Open and trying to defend it. But Sabalenka, I mean, she has been the player of the year, I would say. I think... Um, I mean, it shows in the race, I feel. Yeah, number one in the race. Um, she's going to get the number one ranking and she's I think she's my pick to, to win the title when she's on and I think she's just been always there or thereabouts um, especially at the big moments and the big players play those big moments better but I guess I'll ask you the question that looking back on this season is this a bad uh, not a bad is a strong word but is this a letdown of a season for her coming into this I mean she's very dedicated and would want definitely to have won the French and that almost didn't happen against Mukova Um so it's been, there are positives to take from it, but how successful has it been for her? I think in one sense, it has been a letdown, but I think it was inevitably almost going to be a letdown given the highs that she reached last season, you know, with that- The winning streak, I mean. That crazy streak, uh, you know, Grand Slam titles, world number one ranking. It just felt like there was no, it just felt like there was no competition there without someone like a, you know, an Ash Barty, for example. And it really almost kind of took a season of Iga Sviantec being at the top for that chasing pack, including players like, you know, Sabalenka, um, you know, Rabakina, Jesse Pagula, uh, Coco Goff as well. That's almost like there's the target there. They understood, I think, okay, that's the assignment. This is how I'm going to need to raise my game. And I think slowly but surely over the season and going into this season as well, that gap has closed. And as that gap has closed, Iga Sviantek has found it harder and harder, I think, to produce the results that, that she produced, I would say, probably more comfortably and more easily last season. So I would say personally that it has been a slight letdown. Yes, she has still obviously won a, a Grand Slam title, but I think if you compare the two seasons, I think there's no denying the fact that she would have liked to have seen more, particularly from the, the Grand Slam stage from 2023. Yeah, and when you look at the record of seven, seven kind of in major um, round of 16s, mm. I think there are there are moments when if she is, isn't as on song that she can get unstuck a bit earlier on in some of these tournaments and a lot of the girls on tour will have the belief now that they they can do it too and I think that will be a very interesting perspective for her now not being the number one 
um, it might provide some more focus in terms of um, the goal. But I mean, as someone who stepped into being world number one from Ash Barty's retirement, I mean, she's done wonders for the WTA yeah. and leading the tour and making a name, a household name for many people now in terms of her performances. So I think it will be freeing, a little bit freeing. I agree. I think, you know, this isn't like, you know, we shouldn't be talking about this like, the, the you know, the death of tennis, I think, or, or whatever, or, or like the end of an era of Igor Svantec or, or, or however you want to picture it. It's just not that dramatic. I think, I think, to be honest, it was probably, given the amount of points that she was having to defend coming into the season... To me, it was almost a little bit inevitable that something like this was going to happen, almost kind of like a rubber band effect, I think, that naturally your competitors are going to catch up. And uh, we should celebrate and recognise the fact that, you know, Sviantec went on, a, what, 75 weeks in a row as world number one, thrusted into that spotlight by Ash Barty retiring is incredible. And I think we'll learn, I think, a lot more about that when we see how Sabalenka handles being world number one. She's never been in that position before. I think it's kind of interesting given that it's happened like midway through a Grand Slam. It's an extra thing that is going to be there for, for Sabalenka. She's playing later today, uh, this evening, against Kasatkina. Do you think she's going to be able to just sort of not not think about that anymore? Or like arguably, is that like not going to help her motivation because she was, she could be like oh well I don't I don't have to win this grand slam I'm I'm going to be world number 1 come uh, you know come Monday well I think it's it's interesting the mentality of some players as to what motivates them and you know for a player like Serena um and there was that famous quote around with Dinara Safina where um she said that her goal was to win another slam I think she'd won 3 slams th- that year and she was still number 2 because she wasn't playing other tournaments so um I think that's something that's so kind of key is that slams are what makes you famous. Slams are what makes you go out in history. And you take a Yelena Yankovic or Donara Safina, and unless you get a slam, you know, you haven't done. So what is the pinnacle of tennis? The pinnacle of tennis is not becoming world number one. It is about your slam record. When we look at um, the GOAT debate, it's very much around the fact that um, how many how many slams you've won. That's the number we're all fixated on. Um, and so I think that's that's really key. So I'm hoping that she almost parks this, doesn't celebrate this and gets on with the job at hand because it can be a distraction um, and you don't want to have that emotional kind of, uh, I guess, let out now because there's so much more work to be done at the tournament. And if anything, it's a really big opportunity without the world number one there to like really take this and be like, yes, I am the world number one and make your point clear. I agree. I think this is a real platform for Sabalenka to go out against Kasatkina tonight and give a statement you know give a statement performance she's been the best player arguably on on the tour on the WTA tour this year and uh, yeah against Kasatkina she's got a real chance now with Igor Svantec out to to show that and to show that she is top dog I mean Chris just before we move on to talking about Coco Goff and Caroline Wozniacki I am going to ask you one question the WTA end of season number one ranking do you think that's going to be Sabalenka or do you think that's going to be Iga Svantec or do you think it's going to be someone else I don't think it's going to be someone else at this stage of the of the year I'm trying to think who has the points to defend Joel from the end of season champions it's not going to be Caroline Garcia but Sabalenka (laughs) did reach that final so it's going to be tight I think Sabalenka's going to win the title here and then I think she's going to have a pretty good Asian swing. So I'm going to I'm going to go Sabalenka, but I think the following year I think Iga will get it back. I think it's one of those okay. things where So do you think we're going to go into a, a period of now, you know, as I said, there's been almost like this this sort of um sea of calm at the top. Sviantec 75 weeks in a row. Do you th- sense now we're going to go into a little bit more of a to me to you type situation potentially with with Shiontek and Sabalenka and who knows maybe other other players coming into the mix um you know maybe maybe not necessarily towards the end of this season but start of next season yeah I actually quite liked it uh when there was that period on the tour where it was kind of chopping and changing a little bit mm. um amongst players who had slams and were playing well I think um Iga's dominance has been has been so good for the tour in so many ways at a time when there was this big gulf that was left by um, several players not being there, like Serena, for example, and Ash Barty. So I think it will be great. I think for the competition, it's never it's never been better, I think. Um, well, not it probably has been better, but I mean, like in terms of the recent times, like Coco Goff is playing 
top five tennis. Sabalenka is playing top five tennis. Iga's in there. Mukova is playing phenomenally. All of these players in the top 10, Von Drusova. I mean, it's it's great players playing really well at the moment. It's all to play for. So it feels like that race to uh, wherever they're going, <laughs> wherever that might be, the race to nowhere is really hotting up. Exactly. And as you said, Coco Goff is definitely one of those players who is who is up there. And she toughed it out against Caroline Wozniacki in three sets. Interestingly, in the same scoreline um, as the Shriontech-Ostapenko match, 6-3, 3-6, And yes, I mean, again, this was a really tough match, I think, for Coco Goff because of the, the pressure and the expectation the fact that these were two fan favourites stepping out onto the court. And in that third set, I mean, Wozniacki did take a, an early break. Brad Gilbert, Coco Goff's coach, was trying to give Coco advice. She was having none of it. And she just she just went out by herself and was like, I'm doing me. And she just went about herself emphatically and uh, didn't really look back against Wozniacki because that set was over in a flash from a point of, as I said, real adversity with Wozniacki breaking um, and also taking that second set. I thought it was really impressive. And I think it's one of the things I've liked most is actually the interactions between Goff and her camp and, and Brad Gilbert. I think it's... Do you genuinely... like to see that though? Do you like to see that when a player is... Because it was so clear, I feel, on the TV, like Brad Gilbert saying these things and then Coco Goff was like, almost entirely, she was just like, shut up, just let me get on with it. Did you... Do you like seeing that or do you think it depends on the sort of player? I think it's different I think when you listen to how fond she is of him and his quirks and he's just one of those p- people who is just says whatever they're doing. I mean, she's been saying he gets up at like 3.30 a.m. He does this. He sends her 54 playlists before she even wakes up and every match he had a Jolly Rancher in his <laughs> mouth at the time. Well. and. She's like, he keeps giving them to me and I don't actually eat them. I just keep giving them away. And so I think it's like, it's definitely a case where he might overload at times. So for me, it's actually quite good because um, she said that she wanted to solve the problem herself in post-match. And I think so many players, especially when on-court coaching is allowed, aren't problem solvers themselves. Madison Keys, for example, if we've talked about this, if the A game isn't there, she isn't able to solve that problem. Camilla Georgie, not a problem solver. And a lot of these players who don't have that in their armory and to be a champion, you are alone on the court. You have to get it done and you have to figure out what about your game or what about your opponent's game is going to bring around the W. And she did that. And for me, I think you thought this at the time as well, Joel, that that was what was most impressive about that result was that final set after going that breakdown and then coming storming back. Um, and that's something that we've seen the serve breakdown. We've seen the forehand breakdown in that situation. And um, she's a different player. She really is. Yeah. I mean, so much talk has been around her team over the last you know few months and the way that has improved her. But the one strength she also has is the fact that she can problem solve in real time on the tennis court. And she needed to do that against Caroline Wozniacki because she was putting tremendous pressure on Goff to really think about what you need to do to break me down because it did not it did not come easily. And uh, yeah, that I think was so impressive. And I think it's interesting you talk about the fact that, you know, we get more obviously on-court coaching that is allowed now and we see that dialogue happen more and more and yeah I think that's a good question you raise in terms of our players becoming more de- dependent on that and does that bring an extra advantage actually being able to be independent and figure it out on yourself and not just sort of you know having to use the energy to just kind of go up and look at your box every you know every time to, to have a bit of a conversation. I think it was very great, well, very good to see Coco push back there because um, the nature of the coaching relationship is that it's not just one way. Um, And I think I've always liked those conversations. Unless you're Um, Daniel Medvedev in his team. Yeah, I mean, or him calling the doctor (laughs) to try and... I can imagine that would have been funny if Brad Gilbert just sort of walked off the court and did a Daniel Medvedev coaching box. Yeah, I mean, that's that's honestly some of the most iconic ones is when that's happened. Um, (laughs) Whereas coaches left or, I mean, people have been Mm. sent away. I think Kyrgios has maybe done that before and Bernard Tomic, but... Um, no, I think it's I think it's so important. I think allowing the coaching to be done at slams is obviously so that we don't get a repeat of what happened to Serena Williams um, because the coach deciding to do that doesn't mean that you wanted that to happen. And so I think as long as the player says, no, nope, enough. Um, if it helps, it helps. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And some players don't want to hear a word, don't want to hear a peep. So some like Murray, they don't want coaching. They just want 
uh, that in, the endorphins and the adrenaline and the hype from their box. And that's what obviously like his um, latest coach is able to, to do a lot for. But I love it. I love the the fact that, you know, we can hear those comments. It gives us so much more insight to what's going on and that dynamic of that coaching relationship. So I like it, but I do like people who solve the problem themselves. I just hope in the next, in Coco Goss next match against Lenos Penko, I just want, I wouldn't brag Gilbert now to be like, do you want a Jolly Rancher? Uh, like, you know, yeah, imagine really tense moment. to a ball boy who passed it over to her. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. We see all the kind of, uh, you know, instruments and tablets, all that sort of stuff on the, uh, she uses on the, the dampener side. on the yeah, racket Get me or the something. Jolly Rancher. <laughs> yeah. I had um, a question as well, Joel, by the way, I was thinking about the Wozniacki match and the Coco match. And so Wozniacki's now shut down her season for the rest of the year she's next back in Australia um and I was thinking wow like a lot of players are coming back in Australia so who's gonna get the wild cards if you're at the Australia we've got Karen Wozniacki Naomi Osaka Angie Kerber Emma Raducanu Venus Williams Muguruza and if Simona Halep is absconded of guilt she might also be looking at making an appearance and then add in your mandatory wild cards for the French and the US I mean, the Aussies aren't going to get a look in. It's going to be... Just make as many as possible. Give them all wild cards. Um, no. I'm wild card qualifying? S- Could be. Yeah. Radicani yep. might get that. Yeah, very true. I mean, yeah, that that is tough. I think you'd expect Caroline Wozniacki to get one given this performance. Champion. And as a former champion as well. I'm a little bit surprised, though. Uh, you just said that she's shutting down her season. I didn't actually know that. Um, yeah. That seems a bit of a misstep to me. I know I get that she's a mother and and probably you know wants to tend uh, you know to her family and all that, but she's playing great tennis. I, I would have thought she would have wanted to keep up the momentum. Well, I think it's probably around um, you know she was obviously diagnosed with I think rheumatoid arthritis, and so it is something we're managing that is going to be a really big part. And this is a big test on her body. She's performed brilliantly, and I reckon she'll have a much better time leading into an event uh playing she loves to play in Auckland um and then playing in Sydney maybe a couple of those tournaments leading in to really get yourself back into match fitness because there's no doubt that she is physically fit enough but she needs a few more matches probably in the lead up to Australia if she takes the time off but it makes sense she's got family there's balance there and she's shown that she can come straight into a tournament and do well so I think it makes it makes sense um, why you wouldn't want to miss this, right? You would want to test yourself at the US Open that is true. if you're targeting 2024. Yep. Right, well, let's move on to a couple of other ladies who are into the quarterfinals. Carolina Mukova and Sarana Kostea. Kostea coming through Belinda Bencic in straight set 6-3, 6-3. And then Mukova defeating the Chinese player Wang Jingyu in three sets. Uh, yes, Chris, these two are going to meet in the quarterfinals. Mukova's being on great form lately. I think she has now completed the career quarterfinal slam. She's now made the quarterfinals at every Grand Slam tournament. Serana Kostet back into a Grand Slam quarterfinal for the first time since 2009. That's a 14-year gap. And uh, I found out the other day, I found out that there's only one player who has achieved a longer gap, and that was Marania Lukic, 18 18 years between Wimbledon 1999 and Australian Open 2017. But uh, two great, I feel like two great stories. You know, Mukova backing up all the all the promise and all the, the tennis that she, sh- that she has shown of late in this season. And then Castea just showing that sort of staying power on the tour. Incredible longevity. And yeah, making, making the most against uh, an out of sorts Belinda Bencic. I mean, Mukova is going to be very dangerous in Australia. She she has had some great results there and she's showing that the hard courts are actually probably her best surface. I think some of the tennis that she's put on display when it comes to the clash between the two of them, you'd have to think that Mukova would have the edge with the variety because she's going to mix up the pace and a lot of the players. So, for example, Bencic um, and then in terms of Rabakina, were probably feeding quite a similar ball to Kristea and she was able to handle that and dominate. So I think Mukova is going to be a tricky prospect for Kristea. I didn't think Kristea would beat Bencic in straight sets. I thought Bencic has a lot, well, very high tennis IQ. I thought she would be able to do a bit more in that situation. So that is a disappointment for her because she's floating around the top 10 Bencic in the race at the moment. Um, but that makes two players, I believe, who's now made it the quarterfinal 
slam because Ostapenko made her yep. first quarterfinal. That is very as true. Well. Yeah. So, I mean, when it rains, it pours. But fantastic achievement from Chris Dayer. And it just makes you think that it's a lot of these players are so hot and cold at times. And you've just got to stick it out until that one tournament. And it might come when you're 33. It might come when you're 29. It might come when you're 19 <laughs> or 18, like Emma Raducanu and mm. um, some players. So it's, it's so, so, um, so competitive there. There are so many players who can do well. Well, it might also come when you're 20 years old, because that's what's happened to Ben Shelton, who defeated Tommy Paul in four sets. A lot of Americans... Uh, playing on this day. Ben Shelton defeating Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz coming through in straight sets against Dominic Stricker and Francis Tiafo against Rinky Hijikata in three sets as well. But I want to talk about Ben Shelton, Chris, because it's an, it's an interesting one. I actually had Tommy Paul as a slight favourite here, but Ben Shelton came out in four sets, one. And I just want to, I just want to start with this with this statistic of his season so far. Eight of 16 wins in 2023 have come at either the Australian Open and the US Open. So 50% of his wins this season have come from two Grand Slam events. To me, that is a very, 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 very odd stat. It is a bit odd, but you know, Ben Shelton, he's a big time player. He doesn't get out of bed unless it's a quarterfinal of a slam (laughs) on a hard court. Um, I think it is quite surprising. I think a lot of it probably is to do with, you know, there's probably more familiarity in some of the, the slam environments, I think, than there would be on some mm. of these strange and unusual places. He's playing on clay or whatever that he's never been to before. And maybe it kind of leads to a slight lack of focus because there's so many new experiences that he's having on the tour. And I think that first year can be really overwhelming to find your spot. Whereas uh, this quarterfinal makes a lot more sense to me in the sense that he's on home soil. It's like almost put me on a hard court. I know my grounds and I'm here to play. Yeah, he's here for the middle of the season. We'll see what happens. But <laughs> I think I, I think at Wimbledon, I mean, Joel, I mean, didn't he hit two one four nine serves? Um, where was that at Wimbledon? He didn't make, I think, the noise. Personally, I was maybe expecting from him during the grass court season, given the potential he has on his serve that he has shown us at this US Open. I'm surprised he's, he almost didn't make this noise earlier in the season, but I'm glad it's coming now. And uh, I think he is gunning for Andy Roddick. So Andy Roddick holds the fastest serve record at the US Open, 152 miles per hour. So Shelton has served, I believe, at 149. And to me, Chris, what's amazing is this guy's this guy's 20 years old. He's still growing. So the fact that he's hitting this speed now, where where can he take this record? Wow, that's quite impressive because that's 100 miles an hour quicker than both of our first serves, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I reckon he could be, he's going to do it, isn't he? He's got such a, um, a strong physique um, and it just looks so like easy power as well. Like he looks so relaxed. Like I was watching some of the clips where he hit those serves and I mean, there's no tension in that wrist at all. And imagine if he's like really trying to hit it. I think it would be um, truly scary, but maybe not the percentage shot. I think if you're hitting everything at 149, you're, not, you're going to miss more. Um, and accuracy we've seen from players like Federer is actually probably more important than hitting the fastest serve in the game. No, I don't believe that. I think I just want to see two first serves rather than the first serve and the second serve, two first serves and, and all hell breaks loose. Um, yes, but um, yeah, the Americans going really, really well. Three American men are now into the US Open quarterfinals for the first time since 2005. Can you tell me those those three American male players who did it back in 2005? Listeners as well, let me know. That's a good question, Joel. Um, I'm going to say Andy Roddick, Bobby Ginepri, and Andre Agassi. Well, interesting. I would have had Andy Roddick. I would have had A-Rod in there as well. But apparently it is Robbie Ginepri, James Blake, and Andre Agassi. I should have got James Blake. I remember because... He didn't do as well the following year because he won it in 2004, didn't he, Andy? Well, that's a good one. Mm. I'm glad I got Ginepri. I feel like that's a slight flex, no? That was a rogue one, yeah. I always loved his... He was what, Under Armour, lots short... Uh, sleeveless. No yeah, sleeveless yeah. top, yeah. And James Blake, oh, he always loved rocking the uh, the headband, the shaved head headband look. Um, yeah, he absolutely loved that look. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's great to see, I think, the Americans doing really, really well. I mean... We're going to have another All-American clash next. Francis Tiafo against Ben Shelton. Taylor Fritz also, as I say, in the quarterfinals. He's got Novak Djokovic. Who is going to be the last American standing? 
I'm not going to say Taylor Fritz, um, <laughs> given that draw. I, I saw him interviewed and he said he did a bit of tongue in cheek about the fact that um, he's g- going to get the win one day. And I'm like, well, you couldn't beat him when he had one leg or whatever it was in Australia. Well, I, know, I was going to say that he, he did take Novak Djokovic to five sets or did Novak Djokovic take him to five sets in in uh, in Australia? I mean, you could have, I mean, going back to that match just very quickly, I think you could have argued Taylor Fritz if he had showed a bit more ruthlessness, yeah, he, he, he should have won that mental resolve, yeah. absolutely. I think that's a match that you'd look back on and think, mm. no matter what Djokovic was doing, I didn't control my end of the court the way that I could have. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's a learning curve. It's a learning experience. TFO Shelton will be interesting because TFO is obviously someone who has such a fantastic story and he's playing against another fantastic story this year. So that will be very interesting to see. And I think it's going to be a challenge because taking that match as seriously as you should might be a bit of a challenge. Both of them like to play in good spirits as well as kind of the fact this is a a really big opportunity for a slam semi. So it's great an American will be in the semifinals, but I don't think we're going to get two. Yes, and uh, just just lastly, before we go to a quick break, Novak Djokovic, he came through Borna Gojo in three sets. I want to bring this up very quickly, Chris, because I didn't realise this. Borna Gojo, did you see this? He bleached his hair because I believe he's now entered into the top 100 rankings and he had this sort of, I think, joke or dare or objective with his team and he was like, if I get into the top 100, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna die, I'm going to bleach my hair and... Yeah, he, he went and did it against, uh, and it was it was there all it was there for all the spectators to see in the Novak Djokovic match. It's odd to punish yourself for having <laughs> achieved something. Would be my take. I've just got a picture up, and um, it is given sort of like a, a a Bond villain sort of vibe, or like maybe an Austin <laughs> Powers villain. Maybe it's a bit more that. It's definitely um, a confusing one. And thankfully for anyone who is looking this up, um, he has got short hair, so it will grow out very quickly. So, um, yeah, and it's only going to get lighter you any idea. in the sun. It's not giving you any ideas when we, I don't know, hit our 400th episode of, of the Tennis Weekly podcast. That's very soon, and that will definitely happen. It needs to be something that might not... When I win, collect a set, you, I'll you, dye you, my hair blonde. You do that, and I'll, I'll just have a Jolly Rancher in the back of my throat, and I'll just record, yeah, record yeah, this yeah. in. Maybe um, that will help you with predictions. It might do better, <laughs> right. yeah. It'll give me the, 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 the Brad. Brad Gilbert, uh, Gilbert uh, influence. Yes. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> right, we're going to take a quick break now, but join us in the second half where we will be taking a look back on all the action so far from day eight at Flushing Meadows. So do not go anywhere. Our US Open coverage is sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. If a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. That's drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. Check it out. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by AG1. And now we're going to move on to Chris, day eight, today. Let's start first of all. Unfortunately, Jack Draper has just lost against Andrew Rublev in four sets. We're going to be talking about that in a sec. But I want to talk first of all about the two ladies matches that we've had that have been completed. Madison Keys against Jessica Pagula and Peyton Stearns against Marketa von Drusova. Three Americans here again playing today. Labor Day, Labor Weekend, all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, big, big upset. Or, or was it a big upset? Madison Keys, Jesse Pagula. Keys coming through in rather emphatic fashion. 6-1, 6-3. Madison Keys, she has been here before. She's been to a US Open final. But to win so comfortably against the third seed Jesse Pagula was was that on your radar well when we talked about it before I definitely did not have that on the radar I thought that the nature of someone as consistent as Pagula and Pagula playing as well as she was would be enough to the consistency would scupper you know the chances there but I mean it's you've got to ask some questions because it was pretty lackluster I mean Keys can play um, she can hit you off the court, can mean blow you off the court completely. I mean, she could blow you off the court and a barn door down with some of the shots that she can hit. And when, as we talked about earlier, plan A is working, it, it is fantastic. But 
a world number three in Jessie Pagula, such a great doubles player, so much in her arsenal of, of weapons. She was the ace leader coming into this round as well. And she kind of went out on a whimper, which was quite surprising because she's been, you know, on Ash every, one, every match. It's been like a, a really hyped player here. And she's been playing so much tennis. And it makes me think personally that maybe playing the mix, she's on court now with Coco. Yeah, um, that's a tough, that's a tough ask, I feel. Yeah, I mean, because she was playing on the same match. day. Yeah. She's playing same day, which is quite tricky. And then I think she has the mixed doubles, which she's also still in, which is um, every other day. So basically every day she's on site playing matches, um, which I think does have a toll on your body because it is every match at the US Open is a big match. You want to win. Um, so she's played two mixed doubles. She's playing her third women's doubles and she's played four singles. So that's got to have a toll in the body. Do you think that's the right approach? Because, you know, we're going to be talking about Marquetta von Drusseva soon. She's now actually pulled out of, of the ladies' doubles. Coco Goff is is Jessica Pagula's partner. It doesn't seem to, like, be affecting her. But, you know, Jessie Pagula, we're talking about her when she's going to make her breakthrough. You know, she's been in all these quarterfinals, wait, still waiting for her first Grand Slam semifinal, let alone final. And the fact that she keeps playing, I feel like every single event under the sun at a Grand Slam, mixed doubles, ladies doubles and the singles. Do you think there needs to be a change there? I think I would question, I would question it generally. I think at the US Open, it is a bit different. Um, I mean, Coco wouldn't probably be playing mixed doubles at Wimbledon or at the French Open. It's definitely a case that on home soil, it's, you want to play in everything. It's almost expected. Yeah, we see the Brits do that all the time. And like, you know, Murray was playing in mixed and played in men's doubles as well. And with, I think, Feliciano Lopez that year. And then he also played in the singles or I can't quite remember the exact thing. It's quite normalized for the home players, especially for the fans. They also do love it. So there's something really positive there. But I think it is about having a laser focus on what you want to achieve as a player. Um, And I think sometimes double success can lead to single success, but very rarely are there top doubles players who are top singles players now, given the nature of the game and the physicality of the game. It's a lot of tennis. Um, And the fact that Pagula and Goff are able to do it is so great for the doubles tour, seeing such amazing singles players do it. But for me, um, Pagula's schedule at the US Open was not one that was able to be managed um, because that's a lot of tennis to be playing, especially after she played that really tough three-setter against Fitalina. And then a couple of hours later, she was on playing very late on grandstand so it, it's a lot it's a lot on the body and i you have to think it has something to do with it but she's back on court now so maybe i'm wrong and she's full of energy mm-hmm. yeah well I, I hope so because uh, you know it was not it was not great to see you know her coming off the court she was in tears going down the tunnel and uh yeah it was it was a bit disappointing i think to see to see her in that state because you know she had such high hopes coming into this tournament given you know winning you know that 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 1000 title in in Canada and I do think I think there's something to be said of the fact that you've got someone like Madison Keys who granted is I think like Ostapenko in the sense that she is inconsistent there are times when she will hit loads and loads of unforced errors and it will be the most it will be the most frustrating watch on the planet but there will also be times where she is consistent and she can hit a player off the tennis court and she did that in this match for me against Jessie Pagula and it almost kind of showed to me like her level, although Jessie Pagula is like this level of, of consistency throughout, it just brutally showed, I think, that consistency does not win you Grand Slams. It does not get you to Grand Slam finals. It doesn't get you to Grand Slam semifinals. And the, even despite Madison Keys being more inconsistent, the fact that she has gone to semifinals, the fact that she's made a US Open final shows to me that Pagula's going to have to almost change it up and she's going to I think need to think about like almost like I am consistent but I almost don't want to be that I want to be the person who you know wins who wins tournaments and isn't known as like you know the Andrew Rublev of of the WTA tour and I I, I just think for me Madison Keys is I think you take what Madison Keys has at the moment versus what Jesse Pagula has, even if you would maybe say Jesse Pagula has been a, a more consistent performer just generally on the tour. Would you rather have five semifinals, um, oh, sorry, four semifinals and one final, or would you rather have 
a quarterfinal at three of the four majors or four of the majors now. I think you you want to be in contention and, and that's why people play tennis. So I do think you have to peak at the right times. And I'm not sure that the scheduling with Pagula playing as much will allow that to happen. Again, we do not know how, what her energy levels are at, but you have to think that this is the only noticeable thing that is a bit different because she's got the game. She's a fantastic player. Um, but I mean, it consistently has happened over the last couple of years that she hasn't peaked at the slams, um, but she has peaked at some other tournaments that are either post-slam or before the warm-up events. So there's a question for her camp for sure. And... Peyton Stearns, another American. She was she lost uh, to Marquetta von Drusova. Von Drusova coming through six seven six three six two. Now there's a little bit bittersweet here because von Drusova has pulled out of the ladies doubles um, with Stritskova, um, citing I believe probably a shoulder injury. Um, she had to take medication through the match against Stearns just to basically get her through. I think Stearns maybe will probably be a little bit disappointed. She wasn't actually able to win this because Von Drusova to me was not at 100%. I don't even think she was at 90%. Her body language was very negative. At times, I just didn't think like she wanted to be there. But regardless, almost at 60%, she in that second set and third set, she uh, was able to get the job done. But um, I'll be interested to see how Von Drusova, I think, pulls up for her quarterfinal because physically it wasn't all there, was it? It wasn't. And it does make you concerned and I think it's again it's the toll of playing so much tennis and there's been a lot of talk um Vasek Pospisil has been talking about the tennis balls and the injuries and and how difficult it is and that's all the more reason that it lends itself to you know protecting your priority whether that's singles or whether that's doubles and for her recovery was key ahead of this quarterfinal that she'll be playing on Wednesday so there is a bit of time there's a chance for her to really try and get something um, to help that get a bit better and when she does play I think she's going to have to really go for it and against Keys, it's quite a good player in many senses because it's fast paced there aren't going to be long rallies um, so if you're able to get it under control I think she still will have a chance but players that make you really work for points are much more than Madison Keys. I mean the longer the match the more concerned you have to be with a shoulder injury yeah, I agree. And it's funny you talk about the, uh, the you know, the court and the environment because the roof was on um, on Arthur Ashe today. So I think it was... It was very, very hot. It was very, very hot. Um, but the roof was on and that arguably probably favoured the big, like big hitters like Madison Keys, slightly heavier ball in really tough, humid yeah. conditions. And as well. She's mm. much more of an outdoor player. She's very good at adjusting. Whereas Keys, we've seen doesn't always make the right adjustments when she's in windy or tricky conditions. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have a face-off between Von Drusova and Madison Keys in a quarterfinal. Uh, moving on to the men, we do have some results, Chris, to talk about. Carlos Alcaraz coming through in straight sets against Matteo Arnaldi, 6-3, 6-3, Pretty run-of-the-mill stuff, I think. A few highlight reels for Alcaraz coming to the net etc etc but from a British point of view Jack Draper Andre Rublev Rublev won this in four sets he is back into the quarterfinals now at a Grand Slam for I think the ninth time listeners correct me if I'm wrong on that but yeah he beat Draper 6-3-3-6-6-3-6-4 what did you make of this I watched the first couple of sets Um, I'm gonna let you speak about it first but um, I'm not gonna lie there was a moment when I thought Hang on, Draper might actually win this. Well, as we started to record, it was he had the momentum. Um, I think he really did a fantastic job in that second set to turn the momentum around. But the thing about Andre Rublev is he has that experience um, and Draper doesn't. He's never been at this stage before and he did go a break up in that third set and then he was broken and then he ended up losing that set at 6-3 and then it looked like the momentum and the edge went to Rublev there. So I think it's one where the experience really did help Rublev that he's been in situations like this before um, and been in scraps like this whereas obviously for someone of Jack's age um, and with some of the issues that he's had from a health perspective he's not regularly in fourth rounds competing for spots in quarterfinals so I think he competed really well um, Rublev's obviously a top player and is seeded to win this match and there are so many positives that he can take from this tournament um, especially because we weren't even sure that he'd be playing I agree. I think I was. I heard on broadcast um, 
there was a 30% chance, I think his camp said, that he, he wasn't going to step out and play um, at the US Open in, in New York. So I'm glad I'm glad he did. And I think it's really, really promising, actually. He came up against Rublev and he gave Rublev something to think about. He really thought and he really, I think, be- looks like he belongs on this stage. I will say, though, a lot, I think, rests on, at the moment anyway, a lot rests on that serve because particularly in that first set, you could just see it was so much easier for him. His first serve is great, sets him up for the rest of the point really, really well. But it's it's a bit night and day, isn't it, between his first serve and second serve because Rublev was climbing all over all over it. And uh, although Draper was doing a little bit of the same to, to Rublev's second serve, I think probably that's a shot that needs to be working on. I don't think he can like hope to get to this you know stage of a competition, plonk a second serve in, get into a rallying situation because they're going to be players like Rublev who are going to be looking to assert their authority straight from that return. Absolutely. And and Rublev did serve really well as well. And I think um, he actually didn't serve as many aces at Jack. He served 14, Jack served 18. But in terms of those first serve points, one, it was 84%. And it was around that mark for the set that Jack actually won, where he won 31 points to Rublev's 30. So I think that definitely is a positive that... You know, when you're edging those sets, that's normally what you see a top player do where the player, the the lower ranked player plays a great set and just misses out on it. But Jack did manage to turn that one around. But the second serve, as you say, the big difference is uh, 40% of points won on second serve for Jack and just and well, 69% for Rublev. So that's where, where it matters, that second serve. And um, in terms of receiving points one, he didn't really make that much of an impact against the Rublev serve in the same way that Rublev was able to make it on his. So he's got the game off the ground. Um, it is all about that first serve, that first serve percentage. Yeah. And hopefully we can talk to him about it when, uh, when hopefully we see him um, in, I'd love to see him there. Well, exactly. I hope so. In uh, in Manchester, in, in Davis Cup, Draper. He's really yeah. had. Well, just to have a run, just to have a run of tennis, because I just think it's just been two stop start for everyone's liking, in, you know, including him, his camp, uh, British tennis fans, and uh, yeah, I think it'd just be great to see him back on the court at Davis Cup. But let's let's see what the changeover is. Um, we still have some matches today uh, for some quarterfinalists. We do not know. So we've got Kasatkina, Sabalenka, Zverev, Sinner in the night session on Ash. And on Louis Armstrong, we have Yabor versus Chinwen Zheng and Daniel Medvedev versus Alex de Menor. Which one of those matches are you most excited about of what's to come still on this day? I probably would have to say Zverev, Sinner. I think that one has the most potential for me. I think there's more unanswered questions there, whereas you have to feel like there's a favourite in the other ones. And if they don't live up to that, then I feel like it would be because they weren't playing particularly well. I think Dominar has a good chance against Medvedev. He's beaten him very recently. Um, he'll have a lot of confidence behind that. But um, a battle between you know the former youngest hope versus who is a young hope now, Sinner, I think that will really kind of tell us a lot about how they're playing um, and, and where their level is at because it's hard to tell so far for both of them how well they're playing this tournament. I agree. I'm actually looking forward to Kasatkina versus Sabalenka. I mean, of course you are. those are absolute polar opposites in terms of how they approach tennis on the court. You know, Kasatkina, not the most powerful player. I almost like look at some of her serves and I'm like, how almost like how is she so good with 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 that serve? But it it just works for her. And uh, I'm just fascinated to see also, as I said, with Sabalenka coming on, knowing that she's going to be world number one, whether that, you know, whether we're going to see anything different, whether she's how she's going to take that in her stride. Um, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. We've also got day nine to come tomorrow. The schedule is out. Chris, Americans, I've just said I've just said on our script. Americans everywhere. We've got everywhere. Goff, <laughs> Ostapenko, Djokovic, Fritz. And then in the night session, we've got Kostea, Mukova, Shelton versus Francis Tiafo. Goff, Ostapenko is first on, I believe, because I, I think Coco Goff's got a doubles match or there's, she's got another tennis match to play. And as a result, she needs to get a singles out of the way first because I think maybe some people might be disappointed that was not the night session match of, of rather than Kostea Mukova. But um, yeah, what, what do you make of, what do you make of that lineup? I, I agree. I would have liked to see that as a night match. I think that would be 
a great time for her. I think for Ostapenko, it will actually help her if it's warm. Um, the balls will really be flying for her. And you know what? It's a bad draw. I think for, for Ego, it was a bad draw. For Coco, it's a bad draw in many ways because she'd lost to her in Australia in straight sets. And obviously Coco has improved a lot since then. But the last thing you need is to have someone like Ostapenko having won your last head-to-head encounter. And I mean, she's already got all the confidence in the world coming off this this last win. But we've talked about it before. It's hard to back up wins. So I think that will be fascinating to see. I think it will go to three sets. And I think... Well, don't, don't, don't get ahead of yourself because I'm going to now ask you, oh, oh, like you? we okay. did last time, like we did last time. I know time. I know our last. I know our listeners love this and, and love to hear our our predictions, even if they're not they're not they're not foolproof, but they never are. They never are. Um, but I'm going to give you I'm going to give you the matchups we got tonight and the matchups we got tomorrow, and I would like you to give me winner and number of sets. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kasatkina Sabalenka. Uh, Sabalenka in two. Sabalenka in two. Zverev versus Sinner. Sinner in four. Zverev in four. Ooh. Yabor versus Jim Wenjang. Oh, this is going to be another horrific three-setter. <laughs> and I think Jabor is going to crawl across the line. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. I'm going Jabor in three as well. And Medvedev versus ADM. I would love this to be competitive, but I honestly think it'll be Medvedev in three. Medvedev in four. I'm going to maybe a little bit more competitive, but I'm still going to give Medvedev the edge. Right. Okay. Let's move on to tomorrow. The big one. Coco Goff versus Yelena Ostapenko. I wouldn't bet against Ostapenko now, I think. Who knows what she's going to do, but having shown that level of tennis. Yeah, I think three sets, Ostapenko. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm going to go Coco Goff in three. You love that prediction. <laughs> I know. I have to go with that because I got Coco Golf winning winning the thing in my original predictions. Um, you do. <laughs> Novak Djokovic, Taylor Fritz. Do we have to answer this? I think yes, Djokovic we do. in three. Djokovic in three. Djokovic in four. Kostea Mukova. Mukova in two. Maybe seven, five, seven, six. Yeah, M- okay. Mukova in two as well. And then Ben Shelton versus Francis Tiafo. Where are you going there? Ben Shelton, I think it's time. I think Ooh. it's going to be Ooh, okay. th- really hard okay. for the, from being the story, the breakpoint story, to being surpassed in the story already one year later by another wow. younger American. It, it's a lot to handle, I think. Interesting. I, what do you think? I think, I think? I think no. I think he's gone this far and it's been great experience, but... I think Francis Tiafoe is the real deal and he's going to just pull on all the experiences he's had, including from the US Open last year. So I'm happy either way, though, right? It, we wouldn't be disappointed with either of those people no, winning. No, I think it could be a real it could be a real spectacle for everyone. It, it, it should bring the house down, right? Night match, final match on. It should be fantastic. Um, I'm going to go Tiafoe. Tiafoe in four. We have to try and remember these because we always forget. Like last time, I was like, did, did I say Paul or Shelton? I have no idea. <laughs> I think it's just best to forget. But uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna end there. Well, actually, we're just going to do one last thing, Chris. As I said, as sure I promised. sure we have time? Maybe we don't have time. Uh, we, have, we have a couple more minutes left. Okay. As, uh, as I alluded to at the beginning, mini collector set update. Our six picks were Carlos Alcaraz, Stefanos Sissipas, Tommy Paul, Marketa von Drusova, Karolina Mukova, and Caroline Wozniacki. I'm just trying to make sense. I think you have got the most of, of us three. You've got five out already. So that's not particularly great, is it? But how many have you got correct so far? Oh, yeah, none. None yet. But <laughs> the key for listeners, there are three results that are still in the running. So both Kim and Joel have Alcaraz to make the final. They both have Von Drusifer for the quarterfinal. But the key deciding factor is Mukova, whether she will make the quarterfinal or the semifinal, who will decide out of the three of us who has done the best, unless all of that goes wrong and Alcaraz wins it. And then I can still come up with a triumph. So don't (laughs) count your chickens just yet. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's still all to play for. Um, but yeah, three players left. 
yeah, I'm I'm very much um, hoping quarterfinals. Von Drusseva Mukova, you got to go out. I'm sorry. Uh, I need to win collector. She's got between. the shoulder injury. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, we're going to be compiling every all of our listeners uh, who've submitted entries in, and we're going to give an update on that as well on um, Wednesday. Yes, Wednesday, right? On Wednesday, we're going to give that. So make sure you look out for that. But we're going to end our round four catch up here. So listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode as always, of the Tennis Weekly Podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action still to come from Flushing Meadows at the US Open. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media and stay up to date with all of the action that we covered from Flushing Meadows. And you can email the show as well. For our socials, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and all of those at the handle at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can also purchase Tennis Weekly exclusive merchandise from Etsy. Do check that out. That's etsy.com slash shop slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. And you can email the show tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And finally, you could check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Wednesday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our quarterfinals US Open catch-up sponsored by AG1. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.